Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. All right, fans, welcome into Red Sox Beat again. My name, of course, is Jared Scali, alongside Nathan Rollins. Uh, I am back after a one-week hiatus. Nathan and Jess were on with you last week. Uh, before we get started, I just want to remind you guys all of our social media links to take a survey. You can go to Twitter at clnsradio.com backslash Twitter, Facebook, same thing, backslash Facebook. And to go on and take a survey for us, www.clnsradio.com backslash survey. And you can choose the CLNS Radio survey. Just help you all get some feedback for us going into the new year. 2015, Nate, coming rapidly. Uh, spring training right around that corner. Uh, before you know it, it's almost January. So, uh, getting very excited to, to get spring training going and get into that mood. Uh, baseball's right around the corner. Hasn't really snowed yet around here, so hasn't really felt like winter, but Christmas is over. Uh, I had a great holiday season, Nate. How about you? I had a wonderful one, Jared. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Christmas was fun as usual. Nice and time off from work. About a week total between the times I had to go to work, which is nice. So, uh, nice break there. New Year's is coming up. New Year's is, uh, fast approaching into 2015, so I'm getting excited, obviously, for the new year. Uh, makes me officially feel old because we will no longer be in the year that I graduated college, so I've officially, moved, I have to officially move on with my life, but, um, yeah, so big things coming, obviously, here on Seagonis Radio, so stay tuned. Big things coming to the new baseball season. Red Sox looking good, of course. Um, we're gonna jump right into it here. Fair warning, might not be here for the full hour this week just because there's not much to talk about since last week and then the full baseball perspective might have more leading into the first couple weeks of the year after the holidays and the new year breaks but uh big thing today almost dropped my mic there big thing for today uh i want to talk about rob bradford on weei uh wrote an article saying don't count on max scherzer coming to the red Sox." that what if you read it already or not was in response to the cbs sports article written by john Heyman, who listed nine possible spots for max scherzer and the red Sox are his number one choice Yes, you heard it. Matt, Max Scherzer supposedly is the best fit in Boston, according to John Heyman. Um, if you think about it, Nate, it really does make sense. He lists here and says, though, you missed, you missed on John Lester. Um, you still need a big guy on top of the rotation if you're going off of the traditional style of rebuilding. Um, you need a pitcher. Number one pitcher is really the only thing you're really lacking. Uh, you obviously could rebuild your bullpen a little bit. But going into the season, being an ace is the one thing that you really – Still don't have. Red Sox, Tigers, Giants, Dodgers, and Blue Jays are his top five. Obviously, Tigers because he was from there. 
Uh, Giants, I don't really like as much for them because I know they're in the James Shields category, and I like him going there more than anywhere else. At this point, all the things that I've read. So, But Max Scherzer, supposedly, according to John Heyman, would fit best here in Boston. But as much as I would love that day, I just don't think it's a realistic possibility. Yeah, yeah, you got to look at it uh, realistically. You know, is Ben Sherrington willing to you know pull that trigger on a, a monster contract to, to land that you know two hundred million dollars starter? I mean, this is a guy who turned down a monster contract from Detroit last year when he was offered it before the season, and you know this guy's out to get money. I mean, this guy's won thirty nine games over his past two seasons. You know, he's been to two All Star games. You know, he's, he's won a Cy. Uh, came close to winning a Cy Young, you know, he had a few MVP votes, you know, this is a guy who you know what you're going to get out of him when you get, he hits the mound. At the beginning of the season, you know, you're going to get that 200 plus innings, you know, you're going to get that f- at least 15 wins from this guy, and you know you're going to have a solid number one starter to, you know, match up with anyone in the whole league, and um, you know, it, it is a long shot, but I do think he would fit very well here, you know, he'd take over that Leicester Bulldog mentality and, um, you know, obviously the postseason's a question mark with this guy. You know, we start firsthand. You know, he, he does struggle a little bit in the postseason, but, uh, you know, we got to get there first, and I think this guy could be a real help to lead us there, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Charrington pulled the trigger because, you know, it kind of does look like he's all in this year. Yeah, I don't know how you can't be all, he can't be all in the way he's been throwing his money around to Pablo and Hanley as of late. Um, obviously trying to get Lester as well for a decent-sized contract. Obviously didn't get him for the 135 number. Uh, Scherzer has led the majors in wins and strikeouts the past three years. Um, like you say, he's a bulldog. He just gets down and dirty, and man, would he be perfect here. I I loved Max Scherzer, and obviously he kind of got overlooked in Detroit a little bit just because Verlander's been there, and he's been their guy for a while. Obviously not this past year. Didn't have a great season, Verlander. I, I blame Kate Upton for that one. Uh, little, little, a little bit are kind of a big distraction on that part, but um, I, I wouldn't complain if I was Justin Verlander. He has the best of both worlds right now. Um, Max Scherzer, though, I would love him here. Um, Cleese, uh, he was offered six years, 144 in the spring. He turned it down, obviously, because he knew he was worth way more than that. And obviously with Boris as his agent, you're not going to get – he's probably going to make over $200 million. Um, Lester's obviously was six and one – what was it again? Six and 150, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was 155. Yep. It was around there. Uh, it, can be six, it can be seven and 170 or something like that with his options and stuff like that. But – Look, Lester is not the best pitcher in this offseason, I don't believe. I believe it's Max Scherzer. Um, obviously, Lester being a lefty drove up his offer, his market, obviously a little more, being that bulldog lefty ace at the top of the rotation. But I believe Max Scherzer is durable. I believe he's has better stuff than John Lester. And that's saying a lot because I love John Lester. I'm a big, Obviously, I'm a big John Lester fan. I think every Red Sox fan is a John Lester guy and a John Lester girl and a John Lester person. But I just think that... Scherzer has come in. He's proven it. Um, he's been big for them in the postseason. He's seen postseason, obviously, with the Tigers. Um, hasn't been to a World Series, so that, that's obviously a concern, but that's not, that's not really on him. That's more on the Tigers, just not producing offensively when they needed to. Um, something's got to give in that rotation. Obviously, we already took one of their pitchers in Porcillo. Um, you got to think that he's kind of talking to Ben, if at, if at all, and you got to think he's nudging the Red Sox to bring his former teammate here as well. Nate, I just don't like where they are, this rotation, if they started day one right now. Obviously, you have options going in. You can wait and maybe get a bigger guy go towards the middle of the season to really see where your team is, and maybe the Red Sox are doing that. Because you know what? If this team goes into the regular season the way they are now and they, they don't play well and they don't really feel like they don't, they're not going to compete this year, then maybe they don't want to go out and get that big-name starter and wait till the offseason 
after the 2015 summer. So you kind of have options here. I would love to go after and get Scherzer. I think it's the best possible thing. Obviously, it's kind of an unlikely situation. But other than that, Nate, you got to think the Red Sox are going to probably sit back and see because if they don't do well, Nate, like we're all expecting because, hey, they are all in. They bought, they bought, they're buying offense. They're doing this and that, and they're making their deals. If they don't compete at all or if they don't think they're going to need a starter come the trade deadline, they might wait and not go after someone, so they might not want to waste their money on Scherzer if they think they can do something at the deadline or if they're going to wait till next winter, perhaps. Even. Yeah, you make a good point. I mean, they could very well wait. And, um, you know, if this team is in it uh, come trade deadline or, you know, even earlier from trade deadline, you know, look for them to make a splash and look for them to add that pitcher. And a guy I look at whose team's pretty much goes nowhere is um, Cliff Lee. You know, Cliff Lee's the guy who's signed to, to uh, 2015. He has a vesting option for 2016. Uh, you know, you could, you could acquire a guy like Cliff Lee for, you know, little to nothing from Philly, you know, by the time the trade deadline hits. They're just going to be want, uh, wanting to just get him off the team and, you know, salvage any little thing they can get for him. You know, I'm sure Philly will eat some of his contract. And, um, you know, I, I think Cliff Lee would fit well on this team as an ace. Obviously, he has some injury issues. But uh, when Cliff Lee is pitching at the top of the game, you know, he's he's arguably one of the best uh, left-handed pitchers out there. So um, guys like Cliff Lee, guys um, – like Cole Hamels are going to pop up again mid-year. Obviously, if they don't make a trade, you know, um, there's guys out there to get. Uh, you just have to be in that hunt mid-year if you if you don't end up with that ace uh, by the start of the season. Yeah, no, I, I the way I'm the way I see it is, and I, I disappoint you guys out there, but it's kind of what you have to see, especially after Ben Charrington's comments. They seem pretty pretty damn content going into the season with. Pretty much Buckles, I don't, I don't know, probably Porcello as their number one starter. Buckles will probably get the opening day start just because of, obviously, seniority. You know, we've talked about that. But I think you, they're, they're content going in with Porcello being their 1A type guy, not a full one. But And seeing where they go from there and then potentially, like you said, getting a Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels if he's not dealt before the season. We, who knows? Cole Hamels could be here come opening day. We don't know that yet. We have a long ways away till spring training. Obviously, things could happen during spring training as well. That We've seen that happen before. So... Don't count out the Red Sox just yet. Um, ben Sherrington obviously kind of putting those comments out there a few weeks ago, just saying, hey, we're content with what we have, we know what we have, and we're content with going into the season the way we are now. Don't be surprised if he goes out and sneaks in there. But Max Scherzer, probably off the table. I would love to see it. You're going to have to pay through the roof and then some for him. Um, I'm expecting him to go over $200 million, probably six or seven years, um, knowing his client, knowing he is a Scott Boris client, you're going to expect him to go over that. And, man, Scott Boris, it has a great client in Max Scherzer in, like I said, leading leading the league in wins and runs the last, um, not runs, ERA, the last couple of years. He's been phenomenal, and Scott Boris has a great chip to make himself some more money, too, because I'm pretty sure Boris gets like 5 to 10% of his client's money, and that's a decent chunk when you're making over $200 million in six years. So uh, you got to think that Scott Boris is going to try as hard as he can to get over that $200 million mark, and that's why I'm not counting out the Yankees. Um, the Yankees are a big player in this one for me. As much as they're saying they're not in it, uh, Yankees make the most sense for me. They need pitching. Um, obviously, you're going to have to count the, the Dodgers as well. Um, they, they, they considered Lester. They, didn't, they ended up pulling out on them. Dodgers have the money to spend. Um, I think with money teams, you've got to think maybe Dodgers, Yankees, and Red Sox are your top three with what, those who have the money. Um, Tigers would have the money if they don't re-sign David Price, so you kind of have to wait and see what they do with that one. Um, I would love them to even try to go get David Price and bring him here to Boston. Who knows with that one? But I think the Tigers are more, at least it seems to me, Nate, that the Tigers seem to be more interested in signing David Price long-term 
than bringing back Max Scherzer. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, the Tigers do want to bring back David Price. You know, David Price is one of those premier lefties, you know, arguably top three lefties in the game. And, uh, you know, when you get a guy like that on a pretty much uh, right-handed dominant staff, you know, with a couple of the best right-handed pitches in the game, you know, especially when you get Verlander going, you know, you want to lock up a guy like David Price. You know, you, you don't want to lose somebody like that, like the Red Sox did with Lester. Um, but to touch on the point with uh, Max Scherzer and the Yankees, you know, that's a team I, I could see see why you're saying that, you know, they have the money and all that, but I don't see the Yankees going anywhere, you know, I, I look at the team right now and I think the ownership knows, you know, they're going to be in for a tough season. I don't see them going out and trying to sign a big contract like Max Scherzer. You know, I see them more waiting next year, you know, when, um, you know, Central Zach Grinky could hit the market. You know, there's going to be a Tim Hudson. Uh, Iwakuma's going to hit the market. There's going to be some quality pitches out there next year, and I see them more waiting back and, you know, adding two of those guys. I don't know what your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I I don't think the Yankees... I, I would like... So the Yankees obviously did not get Scherzer because that makes them worse in our sense. But um, I'm not surprised by the Yankees doing anything until they don't actually do it. I've kind of learned that growing up around here. Yankee Yankees will do just about anything to win, and that's why everyone's been comparing the Red Sox spending this offseason to the Yankees because usually that's what they do. Um, so I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if they swoop in. Uh, another report has been out, or another not really a report, but just a speculation that the Red Sox might be in on Scherzer just to drive up the price for someone like the Yankees or someone else just to. Get kind of put them in a bidding war and then back out just to kind of put a nail in someone's coffin to put a hole in their wallet per se whatever you want to call it just to drive up the price um i feel like the red sox wouldn't do that unless it was the yankees i don't think they really care if the um if the giants or the dodgers kind of pay through the rope nose them or not because they're not in the american league east or even the american league so i think if the yankees get involved publicly or eventually once the red sox even if not publicly if the red sox find out the yankees are involved they might start talking more drive the price up and make the Yankees really pay for them if they really want them. Um, I don't think they really have to do that, though, because I think this price is going to go up either way because there's going to be a bidding war for Scherzer. Um, I think he's going to be – he might even get the $220 million mark, depending on how many teams are interested and how the bidding war really faces out of it. Um, I can see at the end maybe the um, – I can see the Tigers still being involved. I know they, there's reports out that he they haven't been involved, and they're saying they're not going to try to re-sign him as hard as people think they should. I think they're going to be involved. I think there might, there might you might see a bidding war between uh, the Dodgers, maybe the Cardinals even. Uh, my sleeper team, though, really, is Theo um, over there in Chicago. I think they could afford both. Um, they could definitely afford Scherzer and Lester, and if they did that, then that would be insane. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised by that either. I don't know what you think about the Cubs situation. I know it's a long shot, but that would be my, probably be my sleeper team in that sense. Uh, I know he has Blue Jays listed on this list as well. But I think, realistically, I think the Cubs even have a better chance than the Blue Jays real, to sign Scherzer. Yeah, the, the, he would uh, fit well in the Cubs. And, you know, the Blue Jays, we can pretty much throw that out because doesn't it seem like Toronto always just comes that pitcher away every single year? They need that ace. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, they yeah. just never get it. But, I mean, when I look at a team like Chicago, I think they're going to wait till next year, really, to, uh, you know, load up. You look at some of the potential free agent pitches that could be out there next year. Down the list, you, you have Buckholz, you have Cueto, you have Giovanni Gallardo, you have Jaime Garcia, you know, Lincecum, Leak. There is just a bunch of pitchers who could potentially be out there. You know, there's two Washington Nationals and Zimmerman and Fister. There's going to be a bunch of nice pitches out there next year. 
So it, this could even fit with the Red Sox if they don't re-sign Porcello. Don't look for teams to overspend for a Max Scherzer this year because, like I said, there's going to be a bunch of guys out there next year. And I think most teams who are that pitcher away, um, who are young, are going to hold off till you know uh, till the end of this year to uh, add that guy because, like I said, there's so many guys out there. You, you can't go wrong with next year if you really sign any of them. Yeah, no, there there are plenty of pitching. Um free agents next offseason as well, Nate, and you got to think maybe the Red Sox are even waiting to see what they can get and maybe even trade for Zimmer. I, I like Jordan Zimmerman. I've expressed that month, for months now, and I, I think that he would be a great fit here. I think they could trade for him in offseason, if not wait, and kind of sign him during the offseason next year as well. Um, one thing, Nate, I kind of want to touch on just because we're kind of going through the pitching here. What do you think, and I haven't heard much about this, but I'm just kind of curious what you think, and we can kind of talk about it a little bit, but what what, what it what about Cole Hamels? Because I know we haven't heard much about him lately. I haven't seen much. Do you, do you think the Red Sox are still in on Cole Hamels? Just obviously purely based on your opinion. Uh, I do not. I, I think if they wanted to pull the trigger on Cole Hamels, I think they would have already done it. And like I said earlier in the offseason, you know, I expect when Max Scherzer signs with the team, it to be after Cole Hamels has either been traded or the Phillies have just decided they're going to keep Cole Hamels. Because, you know, the Phillies had been linked to Max Scherzer, and I think if the Phillies go out and they make a sizable offer to Scherzer, that would be goofy to trade Hamels and sign Scherzer. You know, there's just no real thought to that. And uh, I just think Cole Hamels is going to take way too much for the Red Sox to, uh, you know, throw out there. And like I've been saying, I just think this rotation is perfect for James Shields, not as the ace, you know, as kind of a 1A and 1B guy with Rick Porcello. But, you know, Shields is the guy I want, or, or arguably Scherzer, but, you know, Shields is Scherzer. You know, that's all I want. I don't want them going out, and I don't want them trading away prospects for these pitchers. You know, I want them to keep the prospects in-house, and if a deal opens up for a big guy like a David Price, they'll have the guys to trade. Yeah, I think Cole Hamels would be a waste to trade the prospects. I love the idea of Cole Hamels, but you're probably going to have to give up way too much because I think the Phillies are just so set on getting as much as they possibly can, obviously, in their rebuilding ideals, um, trying to get him out of there as well. Obviously, they're going to try to get as much as they can moving forward to that, so they can finally get back into the postseason and get them back on the road to success. Obviously, they just got rid of Jimmy Rollins, so that was one step in the right direction for Philly, but I think Cole Hamels is going to be too much at this point. But, again, Max Scherzer, man, as much as I would love him, I don't think he's coming here. I've been saying it. We've been talking about pitching this whole offseason because of Lester and them getting Miley and all these guys for uh, filling out the rotation. I just don't think Scherz is realistic. We all know Scherz is going to take a while. Who knows when he'll sign? He might sign like a few weeks before spring training the way Scott Boris um, works and the way his mind works. and All he sees is more dollar signs the longer this takes. So uh, I'm sure he'll be sitting by some clock listening to the tick and talk and counting his change every time it ticks another second off the clock because the longer this takes the more money Max Scherzer is going to make and that inclines obviously makes more money to Scott Boris this is going to take a while Nate when do you, when do you think Max Scherzer signs just quick I, I'm just curious what you think I would say late January would be my prediction late January yeah, that's fair I think that's close obviously pitchers and catchers report a few weeks after that you might see some guys already down there late January depending on how late we're talking here so uh, it's close to spring training. I like the idea. I, I think it's going to be in the spring training. I don't think it's going to be in the spring training. I think Scherzer wants this to be done so he knows where he's going before his team reports. Uh, he like I know he likes to get to spring training early, so I would think late January, early February is probably the best bet for him because he likes to get down there early. Um, I'm sure he's already working out on his own by now, but he like he's one of those guys who likes to get down there before pitchers and catchers are supposed to report and get some extra side work in. So 
which is which is even more impressive considering how much of a bulldog he is. Um, he'll come in early and stay late. He he knows how to work and keeps his body in great shape. So you're getting a 30 year old or however old he is in his 30s that can pitch pretty deep into the games and is durable and can be an over 200 inning guy. So I think Scherzer's going to go somewhere who will spend the money for him and he's going to be excited going into spring training wherever he might end up. Uh, just don't bank on it being the Red Sox, unfortunately, for all you Red Sox fans. So until then, we'll just have to sit around and wait, and we'll obviously keep you up to date with that one. Uh, before we move on, I just want to bring up the idea that one of Boston's basketball's most astute historians, Larry H. Russell, dies into the lost era of Celtics basketball with his author debut for all the Boston Celtics. How bad luck, bad decisions brought the mighty Celtics empire to its knees and ushered in the dark ages. It contains exclusive interviews from management, players, media, and fans alike, available on CionisRadio.com as of January 5th, so that's a good way to start the new year off right. I know we're not basketball podcast, but we like to produce other people's work as well, and it's um, it's a great great news for Larry H. Russell. He's a great writer, and I'm proud of him to announce that he's going to be starting that book. It's going to be released January 5th on CLNS Radio, so go check that out. I know you're not just Red Sox fans, you're New England sports fans, so it's a good read. I'm excited for it. Big basketball guy that I can be as well. Um, so Nate, moving on here, I want to I want to hit on this quickly just because I wasn't here last week. I know you don't have to hit on it if you don't want to, but Will Middlebrooks was traded last week, and I wasn't able to come on the show last week, so I want to vent a little bit about this because you have no idea how excited I am about this. <laughs> Will Middlebrooks um, should have been traded a decent amount of time ago. I know his trade value wasn't really high, and it really wasn't that high. I mean, you got a backup catcher for the guy, so obviously his value wasn't high in general, but... We all saw the writing on the wall when Pablo Sandoval came into town. As soon as he signed that contract, you knew Will Middlebrooks was out the door, regardless of how long it was going to take. And I liked what they were doing here. They got Ryan Hannigan, who got traded twice in one day, which is awesome. I love stuff like that. Hannigan was, got traded from the Rays to the Padres in the Will Myers deal, and then they traded him from the Padres to the Red Sox to get Will Middlebrooks. Hannigan will be your backup catcher, obviously, because David Ross went to Leicester in his boo in Chicago. So we no longer have David Ross. But you do have Ryan Hannigan, who's great defensively. He has a decent bat, so it's okay. Especially, and he knows the game well, so he can mentor uh, Christian Vasquez, as well as he's from the area. I believe he's from Andover, if I'm right. Yep. I don't even know. Yep. So um, it's, a great, it's a great addition, and probably the most you're going to get for Will Middlebrooks, because at this point, I'm impressed they got more than a bag of baseballs, because he is crap. And I don't know what's... I'm assuming this is... He wasn't going to succeed here in Boston, even if they didn't sign Pablo Sandoval and they banked on him. I think... This is probably the best scenario for Middlebrooks. As much as a couple weeks ago, I saw he was ta- he talked at David Ortiz's golf charity thing event like they have every year down in Dominican, and he said, "I want to stay here. I want to play in Boston. I, I want to be here. I know it's rare that we, stay- we all stay with our same teams that we got drafted by, but I want to stay here." And of course, like a few weeks later, he got traded. But I don't think it was realistic. I don't think he's going to succeed. I think a change of scenery is good for him because I think at this point, Boston media was all over him. No one believed in him around here. As soon as he said he wasn't going to go play winter ball for this team, Nate, I had no faith that he was going to be around because the Red Sox didn't see anything from him that he was dedicated to fixing his game because he had issues. And if he wanted to stay around, he was going to have to play while everyone was off on vacation. Yeah, it seemed like as soon as he said he wasn't going to play winter ball, you knew the ownership was just going to be looking to move this kid. And, you know, it's sad for me. You know, I'm a big Middlebrooks guy. I thought this guy was going to be a star third baseman. But, you know, once it came, the pitchers started figuring him out. You know, they found out he couldn't hit the off-speed pitch. You know, he couldn't adjust to the off-speed pitch. And as he couldn't adjust to the off-speed pitch, he gradually lost confidence. And you could 
can see it in every at-bat. He just was not confident in any at-bat. You know, he was getting blown away by fastballs. And I would have liked to see him go down to AAA and get a swing ironed out, you know, one more full season. But obviously, you know, the Sox, Sox didn't have time to wait for him. And, you know, it was a good move. You know, Hannigan's a solid backup catcher. You mentioned he's great defensively. He's going to be great with Christian Vasquez. And, you know, surprisingly, I was surprised they got Hannigan, you know, when I know when Tampa Bay traded Hannigan. I'm like, you know, that's a very good catch in their trading. So I, I was pleasantly surprised getting Hannigan from Middlebrooks. But like I said, at the same time, I was sad to see him go. Yeah, no, I, it's it's sad only because when his rookie year, he was so phenomenal that we all thought he was the, he was that guy. Between him and Xander Bogarts, we had a left we had a left side of the infield. Then he started, he got hurt. Then he came back and just sucked. And now he he still sucks. And that's the that's why they dealt him as much as fast as they possibly could. And then you move Bogarts over and have the whole Stephen Drew fiasco. Who somehow <laughs> teams are still interested in that guy. We'll talk. I want to talk about that too. Teams are still interested in Stephen Drew, and I don't know why. But they, they they kind of tampered with the left side of the infield, so now you shorten Xander Bogart's progression because you moved him over to play third base because Will Mutterbrooks was hurt. You brought Steven Drew in. That won your World Series, and then you kind of carried over to 2014, and it just didn't work. Uh, Will Mutterbrooks came back from his injuries and just wasn't the same. Like you said, he just did, the timing at the plate was horrendous. He couldn't – it looked like Xander Bogart's also had the same problem, but like just couldn't see the ball – couldn't hit right. Even the fastballs, were, he just couldn't catch up to it. Something is wrong with him. And I think for Will Middlebrook's sake, he, as much as he said he wants to stay here, he needs to be happy about this. Because one, he's going to a decent team in San Diego. who They're making moves this offseason. They're going to be somewhat decent next year, I believe. And he's, he's getting a chance. They, they want him to be that third baseman next year. They need a third baseman. They went out and got Will Middlebrook. He's probably going to be their starting third baseman. So he gets a kind of a rejuvenation, um, goes to the NL, which will help him out a little bit here, um, I think. And it's just not, he's not in the AL East. He won't have to face the same caliber of pitching. And I think that's going to help him for his career overall. And I do wish the best for him, but I'm so happy that he is no longer in a Red Sox uniform because I was done being patient with him, especially when we had the opportunity to sign Pablo Sandoval, and we did. He's now your third baseman, thank God. And as much as he's not the power guy, he's not in shape, he's not this and that, he is, he's not Will Middlebrooks. He's a huge upgrade from where they were. And Will Middlebrooks is now a San Diego Padre. You bring in Ryan Hannigan. I think they're doing this offseason right. Um, as much as people hate the whole reactionary spending thing, um, that's kind of what the Red Sox are doing. And I, you kind of have to get behind it if you're a Red Sox fan because they're bringing in talent. And now it's just a matter of if that talent pans out. Um, obviously, people are bringing up the whole Carl Crawford issue. This isn't like that. I think these, this is going to work out more than that deal. Um, these two guys really want to be here, and they've proven themselves more than uh, Carl Crawford did playing for a weak Tampa Bay team before they came. he came to Boston. But um, that is a whole other story and a whole other complaint for me for another day. But I think that Will Motorbrook's being traded is just the best thing ever. And I'm so happy about it, Nate. And I don't know, I mean, sure you can tell about me just rambling on here about how excited I am about it. But I am just so happy that he's not going to be in red next year. Yeah, but do you really blame uh, his struggles solely on him? Or do you do you put a little uh, emphasis on the ownership or the uh, Ben Charrington? Because, you know, at times you knew Middlebrook should not be in the lineup. You knew Middlebrook shouldn't be at a major league level. And, you know, they constantly kept him in the lineup. They constantly kept bringing him up. You know, he could never really – he never really had that chance in, in AAA after – 
you know, struggling after his first season, you know, figure out a swing, you know, injuries got to him, the wrist injury, you know, he had some hamstring injuries, you know, he never really got that full season in AAA that I thought he deserved, you know, iron things out, and, you know, if he was raking mid-year, bring him up. If he was still struggling, then you could move on. I, I just never really thought he got that treatment. Yeah, no, I do agree. Ownership has some to blame, and Ben Sharon can to blame. They, and their philosophy was all last year. Let's groom the big kids up here because we're obviously not going to win. So they they thought let's groom the big kid, let's groom the little kids up here at Fenway and let's let them grow here. Where in my mind it's well that's not going to be work because if they're not ready to play they're not going to get any better by striking out every bat. They got to get their reps and they got especially Whittlebrooks where his mechanics were clearly off. They should have sent him down. Why they did eventually send him down, but it wasn't long enough and it was more for the injury. Then they kept him down there. Then they brought him back and he clearly wasn't ready yet. And I think that. If they just kept him down there for the rest of the year, there was no. He clearly didn't want to go anywhere. He wanted to invest in this organization. He just didn't want to go to Winterball for some reason. But I think that if you kept him down there and just let him do his thing at AAA and really say, okay, look, figure it out. We'll, we'll figure this out next year. Just go down there. No pressure on you. Just play in AAA and get it figured out. I think that would have been better off for him. And I think you might have seen a different Middlebrooks this off season and going into spring training. You might still see him as a Red Sox going into spring training. So. As much as I want to say that it's 100% his fault for sucking, it's really not because he, Ben Sherrington, didn't really give him the chance to kind of prove himself because they brought him up to the majors thinking, oh, he's going to go right back to where he was his rookie year. He wasn't going to do that because he was hurt too long. He was out for too long. He wasn't able to really get his fundamentals back. And when you put an injured guy back like that who is young, he's not like it's David Ortiz coming off a long-term injury and has still had – his timing doesn't take long because he's been in the league for so long. It was Will Middlebrooks. It's not like he was. It's not like it was David Ortiz. So, I think that they really did screw the pooch on that one just because they didn't give him enough time to really get his mechanics back. Um, I don't know if his value would have gotten any higher than what it was now. That would have been an extra year probably for more time to tell on that one. But I think it still was the right idea to trade him. Nate, I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I still think at this point, obviously bringing in Pablo Sandoval and needing a backup catcher and all this stuff, I think as much as his value might go up now in San Diego, he's going to get better. I think it still was the right choice to kind of get what you could for him at this point and just kind of cut bait. Yeah, a, a guy I would have looked to trade instead of Will Middlebrooks is Shane Victorino, you know. Victorino with a ton of injury issues, you know, you're probably not going to last. You know, two months in right field, you know, I just don't see much upside with Victorino, you know, no longer switch hitter, uh, right-handed dominant hitter, you know, that's the guy I would have looked uh, you know, to move and to touch on your point, you know, the Red Sox strategy of let's just bring all these young guys up and, you know, well, let's see the end of the season, you know, we're out of it. Let them prove themselves, you know. I'm getting sick of this strategy. You know, it's not only worked with Will Middlebrooks, it hasn't worked with Jackie Bradley Jr., it hasn't worked with Daniel Bard, and it sure in heck didn't work with Ryan Lavarnoy when you called him up to catch Stephen Wright. You know, these are big, these were big time prospects who your system of calling guys up, you know, having them, you know, work their way into the lineup, you know, play against major league talent, you know, it's quite frankly, it's not working. And it's a trash strategy to have, you know, being one of the best, you know, farm systems, you know, in baseball. Yeah, no, when you have a farm system like this, it's something to do more and and relish and kind of, you should be able to groom these guys and these guys all should be quality guys and they're not just top 100 pro they're not just top like 10 prospects in your system they're top 100 prospects in all of baseball exactly. and you're, you're kind of screwing them up and you saw our case in point of how bad they how bad it can be with the whole Xander Bogart fiasco because you have a guy who's supposed to be the next well quote unquote they said Hanley Ramirez or that kind of a player and 
you're sitting here and putting him to third base when he doesn't feel comfortable. Stephen Drew. There's no, St- yeah, for Stephen Drew. There's no coincidence in the world. It's not a coincidence that as soon as you move him to third base, he starts being terrible at the plate. His timing's off. It's called you got to build this kid's confidence. And if you move him, it wasn't even two months. In, it wasn't. It was barely a month into the season they moved him to third base. And that at that point it was okay. He was starting to be hit pretty well, but his defense wasn't there. But you slowly saw his defense getting better. And then right when his defense started improving more, and you saw some development from your prospect, you shifted him to third base and make way for a guy who clearly wasn't going to be here past the deadline. So it's just a matter of. They really need to figure that out, and I think that that one specifically is on John Farrell because he was a big advocate for Stephen Drew, and he wanted to. He worried about winning that year, and they he believed that Stephen Drew was a big part of the World Series, which I don't think he was. But obviously, defensively, he helps. But I just don't think that realistically you can sit here and say they didn't screw either of those prospects up. Um, obviously, you have Pedroia, you have Euclid, and those guys who worked out, but. Since Ben Sherrington took over, what prospect has really come through the system and really proved himself? You know, there's really there's really been none. And, uh, you know, I even look at some of these young pitchers who they're just calling up. You know, Renato, you know, they did it with Webster, you know, De La Rosa. You know, yeah, it's great if you want to call these guys up and get them some major league experience. But calling up a guy like Brandon Workman is sticking him in the starting rotation because you have a hole in the starting rotation. You know he works better in the bullpen. You know, those are the type of moves I just look at and scratch my head. It's just like, you know, what are you doing to this kid? Why do you have Bryce Brent, you know, in the four hole? You know, this guy, this guy's still trying to figure it out at AAA and he's on your major league roster, you know. I, I just don't understand, you know. If I wanted to give away a season, I'd leave the big guys in, you know, and let them finish off the season. I don't want these young guys up, you know, with that losing feeling and around that losing environment. It, it's just not how I want to have a ball club. Yeah, no, I think it's tough, especially when you have these veterans who you're paying all this money in this whole year. You have these prospects who weren't were trying to get developed, then you have these guys getting paid millions of dollars and not playing. It's just like, come on now. And I understand your your gripe with the Victorino trade. And I think you should have tried to trade Victorino, but I don't think you were going to get much for Shane Victorino. I think at this point you would have got if, – if you can get a backup catcher in Hannigan for Will Middlebrooks, you weren't getting much more for Shane Victorino because – unless you package him with a bigger prospect because you weren't – a guy coming off of major injuries and just getting older, and he's claiming he's the starting right fielder, but you never really know. Um, but I think it's just amazing what they're doing with these prospects, and they really need to get through their heads on straight. And I think this year, if they touch Xander Bogarts besides playing shortstop, I am going to be so mad, and I'm going to go off on this podcast, and it's just going to be ridiculous because there is no need for them to move him again. There's no need for them to pull another Steven Drew fiasco and play someone else at short just because Xander Bogarts isn't producing defensively. You're probably not going to win a World Series next year. I hate to break that to all you Red Sox optimists, but you're not going to do it. It's just not. I mean, you're probably going to come close to the AL East again because it's probably going to be you, the Yankees, and the Orioles, prospectively, just because the Rays are going to suck and the Blue Jays are the Blue Jays. So, but you're not going to compete with the elite teams next year because if you don't get an ace, you don't fill it in the bullpen, and the offense somehow hits a stag, which I have a good chance it probably will eventually, you're not going to do anything. So why risk Xander Bogart's production and growth even more just to for the sake of winning a couple more games? Because honestly, Steven Drew didn't win you that many more games than you lo- when he got here. He wasn't that much of a help because he hit barely hit 200, if that, during the season. He, I, I think he was a one-something hitter. So... 
they screwed up that one. I hope they don't screw it up again this year. I kind of I'm giving I'm having faith that they learned from their mistakes um, and they're going to leave Xander Bogarts at shortstop. Um, obviously, who knows what they're going to do with Mookie Betts? Probably play right field, which means Shane Victorino's on the bench. There's a lot of questions still to be answered. Obviously, probably won't get answered till spring training. But again, we're getting closer and closer to that day where uh, Hong Kong comes along and the truck day get, makes us nice trip down to Fort Myers. So. It's going to be enjoyable. Obviously, we're, we're have to wait in there for a lot of our answers are going to be answered through spring training and come opening day. Um, we're all intrigued by the pitching situation. But one thing I want to talk about, Nate, and we kind of brought up his name a couple times as I was bashing on him, was Stephen Drew because um, he's terrible. Obviously, defensively, he's got quick hands, and he's kind of that guy. And he ended up playing second base for the Yankees the rest of the way through, um, kind of filling in f- – for them and playing the middle of the field with Derek Jeter for his swan song towards the end of the year. And they traded him to the Yankees at trade deadline. That was awesome because they needed to. Um, teams are still interested in this guy. And I, I obviously not for his offense. He's probably going to hit ninth anywhere he goes unless he's in the National League. But um, according to John Amon, and he's fantastic, uh, the Cubs are among the clubs that are showing interest in Steven Drew, which that's surprising to me because you have Castro out there and you obviously can use uh, Javier Baez as well um, at second base. Right, I don't know. Base. Yeah, so I don't really know where he fits unless you don't want to play Javier Baez or Louis Valbueno at second base and you play Steven Drew at second base. And then they predict more and more coming out of this team this year than they than we all think they're going to do this year. Why is there so much interest in this guy, Nate? He's proven himself time and time again. He cannot hit. He cannot hit. He bar- he plays defense pretty well most of the time, but he's not that guy. And I get he probably is going to fill a hole, and if he goes to the Cubs, he's going to fill a second base hole and just play defense. But... Why is he so attractive? He shouldn't get this many. He, he's in report. I think it, I'm going to look at the tweet again because I don't. Let me look at the official tweet. But I'm pretty sure it was. A, there's a few handful of teams that were uh, were there on Stephen Drew. Yeah, there's a few teams still caught on Stephen Drew's. You know, remarkable 2008 season, in which he received a few MVP votes. You know, I look at a Stephen Drew, and I look at a guy who I don't want near my team. You know, nice guy. Uh, you know, nice brother. Whatever. But I'm sorry, but Stephen Drew is a guy I look at and I wonder how the hell can this guy possibly make ten million dollars a year? You know, he's gonna be a nine hitter. You mentioned he's gonna bat one fifty. He'll hit you five home runs. But how in the hell is he gonna make ten million dollars? You know, you gotta teach your kids now, folks. You know, get into baseball because even if you suck, you can still make a ten million dollar contract. And Stephen <laughs> Drew is a living legend, and you know he'll tell you that. You know, straightforward. You know, what is he? He's all, he's only a defensive player. You know, Darwin Barney's a Gold Glove second baseman. What is Stephen Drew gonna do? I just don't understand it. I don't see the fit. You know, they get one of the powerful, you know, most powerful third basemen coming up in Bryant. You know, they got Castro, Baez. They have a nice young infield. You know, Stephen Drew would be nothing but a backup in my opinion. Yeah, no, I I think it's it's just tough that. He has the problem too for him is that again Scott Boris is his agent, so he really overvalues Stephen Drew because he wants to make every penny possible. Scott Boris has come out and said that he believes that the value in his um, his market will heat up in January, um, which basically is saying that once all teams have done everything possible to trade for other guys, then they'll go after Stephen Drew, which kind of shows his value. Um, <laughs> I saw something. Oh, there it is. That's what I was looking for. Uh, Nick Cafardo was saying in an article about him that. Scott Boris hinted to him that it could have been, it was a personal issue that may have con- there was a personal issue in his in Stephen Drew's life that may have contributed to his offensive decline last year. Uh, <laughs> even though that his decline was more than just last year, he wasn't a great hitter in 2013 either. He never really was. He was just there on defense and kind of filled the hole. But 
I don't know. I, I think Scott Boris is going to talk up Stephen Drew as much as possible. Eventually, he'll get some team to sign him. Poor schmucks, maybe get him to pay a little extra than he should. They should for him. Um, I just can't see may, possibly him being on a starting rotation, starting a lineup. I mean, come opening day. But I think by the trade deadline, he's going to either be on get chipped out from where he starts and start starting on a really crappy team, or being a backup. Like say Chicago, or maybe maybe being a backup in, with the Yankees. I highly doubt he'll go back there, but. Um, you never really know where Steven Drew is going to end up. I just can't stand. I know it's Scott Boris, so he's going to get more. He's going to get more attention than he should, just because who is who is representing him. I just think that he really isn't a great player, and he, I, I'd rather take JD Drew than Steven Drew at this point because, obviously, not now. But I mean, just like at the same point in their career, JD Drew is a better player. Steven Drew is not that good, and I think him in '08 and him in the. the value that people are putting on him from the 2013 World Series on with the Red Sox, I think that is going to make him his money more than obviously last year. Yeah, um, you know, Stephen Drew, you know, whatever stock you want to put in Stephen Drew, he, like, Zero. like Still, you none. said, he is just going to be that guy who, in my opinion, is a backup, or he could go to a young team, maybe a White Sox, maybe an Astros, you know, teach the guy the ropes, you know, you know, kind of tr- you play a third of the season, but, you know, other than that, I am not paying this guy $10 million a year to be in my starting line. If I'd rather pay him $10 million a year to stay away from my team. Yeah, if I was anyone at all, like, like you said, I would literally pay him as much money as he wanted to go sit at home and watch <laughs> our games on the couch. And like, no, it's not even worth him having being on the field. And if you, if it was a case where he wasn't a free agent and like he had a year left on his deal, say you say he still had a contract with the Red Sox just for fun, and he had a year left. If I was Ben Sherrington, I would say, here, here, here you go. Here's your money. Don't come to the ballpark. Don't show up. Don't tempt him. Don't tempt Farrell to put you in the game. Just go home, rest, be with your family. We'll pay you to stay at home. If you show up, you lose your money. Yeah. That is what every team should do if he was on someone's team. Eventually, that might happen with whatever team he signs with because people are going to realize once they're with him, he's with him for every day and road trips and tough games and in the clutch. He's not that guy. And obviously, you got, he's not going to get paid like that guy. But I still think people are going to overpay him. I think that's just the nature of what the market is now. His market, because of what the market is in general in baseball, is probably going to be ten to twelve million dollars, depending on what where he goes and how long he waits. If he waits, and that a team really needs a second baseman or a shortstop, he might make more money because he's going to be some team's last option, and then he'll have leverage. So, don't be surprised if he doesn't sign until even after spring training, just because he will see where teams are. Teams like to gauge where they are going into spring training with young guys, and then after once spring training starts, they they start to really understand what they are, and teams really understand what they need going into the season. So Stephen Drew, I think, is going to be a spring training acquisition for some team. I'm sure Scott Boris won't mind that because the longer you wait, again, any any deal, the longer you wait, the more and more you're going to get in terms of value for a player because eventually some team's going to go, oh crap, I forgot to get a shortstop or a second baseman. Oh, who's out there? Oh, Stephen Drew, He'll, he's decent. Okay, pick him up to take, give him what he wants. So, I think you're going to see Stephen Drew kind of go later on into the uh, offseason. Yep, Stephen Drew later on in the offseason, you know, as an injury replacement, as anything, you know, even if he's a mid-year acquisition, you know, he should be nothing but that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, almost out of time here, we're not going to, like I said, we're probably not going to reach an hour, because there isn't that much to talk about. Uh, I, I went way too long on venting about Will Middlebrooks, but hey, what are you going to do? Um, one thing I found, though, I want to talk about, uh, SportingNews.com had a story about the worst trades, worst off-season trades, and 
for every MLB team. And I, well, I have one in front of me that I want to start with, Nate, because I didn't realize this at the time, but I, I looked at, I'm looking at it now. Uh, December 13th, 2003. This involves the Atlanta Braves. They sent Adam Wainwright, Jason Marquis, and Ray King to the Cardinals for, for uh, Eli, Eli Marrero and the other Drew, J.D. Drew. That's horrific to me. Oh, that is and horrific. Someone in the de- Braves scouting department or something really undervalued Adam Wainwright. because if, in, in this trade, J.D. Drew was the marquee return for Adam Wainwright. It was essentially Adam Wainwright for J.D. Drew and then other players to match money. JD because Adam Wainwright was obviously wasn't making great money at the time, so JD Drew was actually the highest paid player in this trade, I believe as well. So, and of course, it kind of worked out. JD Drew was great that year. Um, he did he finished sixth, yeah, sixth in the NL MVP vote that year, uh, over one thousand OPS. Um, but again, look what Wainwright's Wainwright turned out to be. He finished um, third this year in the Cy Young voting, and. He's done that four in the last six years. Wainwright is Mr. Consistent on the mound, and obviously the Braves lost that deal because, and at the time, they didn't need the pitching, I get it, but at the same time, someone should have known that this guy was going to be like this because pitchers don't kind of just sprout out of nothing like this guy did, and he wasn't. He was something when he got traded. So, obviously, trading for J.D. Drew in any aspect sounds bad now, but it was a good deal at the time, but even looking at it now, it just seems awful that you could give up Adam Wainwright for J.D. Drew. Yeah, that is an awful deal. You know, you, you got to wonder what was going through there. You got to wonder, you know, who really evaluated Adam Wainwright. You know, D- this was a young guy, as you mentioned, on the rise in the Atlanta organization. You know, he had promise. You know, he pitched very well in the minor leagues, and uh, you know, I'm sure that guy's still not with the team. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> sure he's not. I'm sure he's not. I promise you, you probably got fired after that year or a couple years down the road. But. uh Another one intrigued me, uh, December 14, 2007, the Arizona Diamondbacks. They sent Carlos Gonzalez, Brett Anderson, and Chris Carter, and three others to the A's for Dan Heron and one other player. Um, the A's kind of messed that one up. I know Carlos Gonzalez was good, but Dan Heron's a, a solid pitcher. Yeah. And the a- I don't know why the A's got I mean, was yeah, that was Billy Bean still time. So Billy Bean kind of messed that one up. Yeah, Billy Bean very well missed that up. You know, the whole money ball thing, you know, Carlos Gonzalez is a hell of a player, you know. Dealing with a finger injury this year, you know, kind of cut him back. But when he's playing, he's an MVP candidate each year. But, you know, Chris Carter's another guy. You know, Chris Carter, I think this year, I think he hit somewhere like 33 home runs, you know. There's two guys who, uh, who you know, were in the Oakland system. You know, Carter obviously got dealt after uh, Carlos Gonzalez. But you got to wonder what was going through Billy Bean's head. You know, were they too good for him? <laughs> Yeah, right. It's it's Billy Bean is uh, Billy Bean's a disgrace to the game. I know his money ball thing works for like a year, but they're not going to win unless, as long as Billy Bean's in charge. I'm pretty confident of that at this point. And that's the one example of it. Uh, another one, November nineteenth, nineteen ninety three. Um, our boy Pedro Pedro Martinez was traded to the Expos from the Dodgers for Delino De Shields. Whoever the GM was of the Dodgers, you're an idiot. Um, I, I get why you might consider it back then because he was Pedro obviously was skinny and scrawny and didn't but he had to show some promise and he clearly was undervalued by the Dodgers so Dodgers traded Pedro for a Delino and DeShields don't even know who that is that's how much that trade didn't make sense but uh that one Pedro was involved a couple on this list but that one to me was started the ball rolling because eventually he came here of course 
Yeah, that's an awful deal for the Dodgers. Like uh, like with all these deals, you've really got to wonder who's evaluating these players. You know, when you make a mistake like that, it takes your franchise years and years and years to recover. And obviously the Dodgers haven't been able to recover to get to that World Series status. But you got to wonder if they had Pedro, would they have been able to? A more recent one for you younger fans here that might will know who Adam Jones is. February 8th, 2008. Yeah. Adam Jones... Adam Jones, yeah, you know what's coming, Nate. Adam Jones, Chris Tillman, George Sherrill, and two others were sent from the Mariners to the Orioles, of course, for Eric Bedard. That, yeah, that's right, I said it. Eric Bedard, one player for Adam Jones, Chris Tillman, George Sherrill, and two others. Adam Jones and Chris Tillman were two key pieces in the reason why the Orioles were on the ALCS last year. Adam Jones is an all-star in this league. Now, he was, he could be, he could have been pegged as the next Ken Griffey Jr. in the Mariners organization if he did not get traded. Because he's, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Ken Griffey Jr. was, but he's that type of player. He's got a sweet swing. He's quick out there in center field. That's a big, big miss for the Mariners. That is a big miss for the Mariners. You know, they'd obviously love to have both those uh, players back. But I, I do look at a guy like Eric Bedard and when the Mariners acquired him. You know, this was, this is a guy coming off, uh, you know, a season where he won, I believe it was 15 games, you know, he pitched to the tune of like a 319 ERA, you know, this was a guy who they thought was going to be that ace, and you know, you really can't predict, you know, Eric Bedard not panning out for the team, uh, you know, that much, I don't blame that solely on the management, but you know, now it looks like a stupid deal, but back then, you know, it looked like a very smart deal, and you know, I would have made that deal, to be honest with you, because, you know, I, I couldn't really tell that Eric Bedard was going to stink, because, you know, I remember when this deal went down. I remember saying, you know, Baltimore is giving away a quality pitcher in Eric Bedard, and, you know, Seattle's going to get a guy who's a fly ball pitcher and, you know, playing at a big ballpark, and I thought he was going to fare well, but, you know, I was wrong as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people believe that trade worked out, but obviously looking back at these names now on these lists, these these names have panned out and done their thing, so obviously... Trade values change between now and then, obviously. But still, looking at that lane, you can't, it's hard to believe what the Orioles got. And clearly the Orioles saw something to get those guys from the Mariners. Um, another big one, we're going to go, I'll go two more. Uh, the other Pedro one I'm not going to mention, but obviously Pedro was straight to the Red Sox, and that was a big miss for the Expos. But um, December 4th, 2007, Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis to the Tigers for uh, Cameron, Mabin, Andrew Miller, and four others. Obviously... Um, I think the Marlins knew what Cabrera was going to be. Um, they just didn't want to deal with his free agency contract. I know he was going to be a free agent the year after he was traded, so I think it was more of a they didn't want to pay him. They dealt with the the, uh, the issues of not signing him, and they just said, okay, you know what, we're not going to sign you. We'll get something for you. And they did get something for him, obviously, um, not much. Now, in the grand scheme of things, and Dontrell Willis was pretty good for the Tigers for like a year, but... Miguel Cabrera obviously has panned out to be the best, one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter in baseball right now, and he is what obviously a big win for the Tigers, no, no question. He was a big win for the Tigers, and you know the year that they uh, got Cabrera, I remember looking at that lineup, and you know they had the steady Megler Ordonez, you know they had Sheffield, Levon Rodriguez, you know they had Grandison, Polanco, you know Renteria, you know this looked like a team who was going to insert one of the best hitters in the game in the middle of the order, and, you know, it looked like they were going to take off, and ever since it seemed like they got Cabrera, they have taken off, and uh, obviously Florida knew they weren't going to re-sign Cabrera, they knew they were going nowhere, you know, in, in you know, the short term, and, you know, they had to deal him, and, you know, Cabrera didn't want to be there, so, you know, a win-win for both teams, obviously not as a win for the uh, uh 
Florida, but, you know, they just had to get the guy out of there. He didn't want to be there. Yeah, um, definitely. He clearly didn't want to be there. I think it was the best situation for everyone, despite now, obviously, the trade favorite, the Tigers. But uh, one last big one for me, December 10th, 1971. Yeah, I'm going back a few years here, guys. Uh, Nolan Ryan, yeah, that guy, was traded to the Angels for Jim Fergosi. And yet, Ryan, yes, of course, became the greatest strikeout pitcher of all time. No question. And, and obviously, that was an issue. No, no one knew that Fergosi was going to be an injury-ridden pitcher. Everyone looked like it was going to be a fair trade for both sides. But looking back at it, the Mets could have had Nolan Ryan instead. He went on to play for the Angels and and uh, had a great career, obviously. Yep. Big uh, disappointment for the Mets. You know, one of the best pitchers ever to play in baseball and Nolan Ryan. And uh, when you're missing a guy like that, like I mentioned earlier, it really sets your franchise back. Um, big time, you know, obviously the Mets haven't won, and I can't even calculate the years. They just haven't been relevant, you know, enough to, you know, even want to follow them, even want to be concerned with them. But, um, that's a disappointing loss. Yeah, and one more I, I do want to mention, more of an honorable mention, but uh, 91, because I didn't know this, 91, um, Kurt Schilling was dealt. I didn't know he played for the Orioles. I didn't know he was a member of the Orioles at all. Um, Kurt Schilling, Steve Finley, and Pete Harnish were, was dealt to, were dealt to the Astros for Glenn Davis. And um, obviously at the time it seemed like a great deal because Davis was a hitter. He could hit. Um he hit just, it says here though, he hit just 24 home runs over three injury plague seasons in Baltimore. So really, you thought you were going to get a great hitter, but you didn't. And then, of course, the other three guys, um, Harnish had the worst career of the three, it says here, with a 3.78 ERA in 1654 innings. So over 11 seasons. Obviously, we know what Kurt Schilling became. So obviously, Orioles kind of lost themselves on that one. Now, I didn't know that. I was shocked when I saw, I didn't realize that Kurt Schilling started with the Orioles, and that one kind of, that one kind of stinks. Yep, it, it does stink. You know, um, obviously, Coach Young didn't do much with the Diamondbacks, and, you know, the Orioles haven't done much since that. So, you know, that deal's kind of a stalemate. You know, um, yeah, obviously, the Orioles and Diamondbacks really both didn't really know what Schilling could become. Yeah, so definitely a lot of bad trades in the history of the league. Um, those that, that was just a great list I saw. I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, definitely more to come in terms of offseason baseball. And you, who knows? We might see. I might see some more pop of those, of those trades pop up from from now until later on cut down the road. Because obviously, you, you never know what trial trades can really be bad until you, you really let them play out and see what happens for both teams. But at the time, some of these trades have made sense, so you never really know. But uh, for that, until now, obviously, uh, we're gonna end the show here because. It's about about an hour getting there. I'm gonna cut it a little short, but not too much. Um, before I forget, obviously I want to for just gotta talk real quick here. For over six years, CNS Radio has been offering you free exclusive content on your favorite sports teams. In 2015, yeah, that's right around the corner. CNS Radio is celebrating over our one millionth listener to usher in the new year. CNS has its biggest giveaway plans to date with our free mobile app release in the Android and iOS app markets. The CNSRadio.com website optimized to be lightning fast our equipment upgrades, and more HD premium content, exclusive locker room content at the Garden. We now need your help. Show your support for CNS Radio, our staff of volunteer writers and podcast hosts, by going to clnsradio.com backslash patrons. Help us keep CNS free, and we give you free stuff. It's great. Oh, who doesn't love free stuff? Uh, obviously, go to the website, and there you can donate in any amount. Be sure to check out all the rewards for donating. Uh, we reward your generosity with great prizes ranging from free game tickets. Yeah, you heard me right. Free game tickets to your favorite Boston sports team, to a Bill Russell autograph basketball. That's valued over $1,000 to a designer V-neck t-shirt here from CLNS Radio or, of course, a shiny silver insulated travel mug. Great prizes for you there. So please support us. 
Uh, keep our programming ad-free and take home pieces of Boston sports history. Uh, great stuff there from us. I'm really happy that we got to our one millionth listener here at CNS Radio, and we appreciate your um, obviously your support throughout the years. Um, that being said, though, Nate, another week of Red Sox beating the books. Uh, great weeks to look forward to here. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in, of course, as well. Obviously, keep hitting that share button. Keep getting our downloads up. We appreciate every little inch of help we get from you guys. Um, that being said, we'll be off until next week. Nate and I think Jess will be on next week as well as the following week because I, myself, am crossing the pond to go to London. So I will be on in the next couple weeks. The Nate and Jess uh, will handle business here while I am away. Um, so I appreciate them obviously coming in. And obviously Nate and I were great to have some fun today as well. So until next week when Nate and Jess had to come on strong and take you on to the week, this is Red Sox Beat. Until next week, of course, stay, have a great week. Happy New Year. Stay safe as well. And see you in 2015.